All right, good morning again. So glad you guys are here. We're going to do a shout, and then we're going to let our youth go. Ready? I love God, and I love you. Now get out, youth group. <laughs> Just uh, see you later. If you'd like to go, you may go. If you'd like to stay, you may stay. We're always love to have you go. We just love you. They're headed out to Pastor Jimmy, uh, hanging out. Uh, we this is our sixth week in Philippians. We have eight weeks, so not eight weeks to go. You're like ah, it's uh, eight total weeks. This is our our sixth. So I have five summary phrases. Rather, like as I try to like summarize where we've been, like it gets longer and longer, and it, half the sermon may be summary of all the ones that passed. So I, today I have five summary phrases of our five previous weeks, and maybe they will uh, r- jog a memory or ring a bell. Joyful partnership, assumed fruitfulness, imitate Jesus's mindset of others first, gamblers for Christ. Oh, I like that one. I remember that one. <laughs> Crap compared to Jesus. Ooh, I didn't see that one. You should watch it online if you haven't seen that one. That's where we've been in the last five weeks, those kind of ideas. And Paul's going to pick right up here, and he says, not that I've already gotten all those things. Not All the first uh, three chapters, three and a half chapters, he says, not that I've already attained all those things, or that I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. One of the giants of the faith, it doesn't get much bigger than Paul, said that he knew that he had to keep pushing forward. His best days could not be behind him. He's an apostle already. He's been, thousands of people come to Christ. And you know what he says? I have not arrived and there is somewhere I've got to go. I've got to keep pressing forward. Paul knew that Jesus saved him for a reason. And as long as he was alive, that means he hadn't arrived. So there was only one option for him, to press forward. He says, if God has let me be alive today, that means there is something that God still has for me to do. And I know that God will be done with me when I'm with him in his presence. The moment I'm dead, all done. Unless God does a miracle and he resurrects him and he's like, dang it, I was wrong. But other than that, miraculous intervention to resuscitate someone. When you're dead, then it's done. But if you're awake, then there's something to be done. When Paul says, like, he, he, uh, he took hold of me, this, like, in this passage, it's a really powerful passage. Paul's saying, like, I'm going to press on. There's something for me to do, but I, and I want to take hold of that which Jesus took hold of me. This word is a really powerful word in Greek. It actually means to apprehend, but not just to catch. It means to, it means to apprehend, to grab, and to drag down. Sort of like when a police officer chases a subject and they, they're chasing after this suspect and they, they get up to them. They don't just tag them, you're it, right? What do they do? They go, grab them and they pull them down. This is the beginning of NFL week. Anybody else NFL? Are the Rams winning right now? They started at 10. Anyone know? Anyone know the score? That was a test. Uh, you know it was too, huh? You saw me testing you? I thought Henry was going to be like 7-0. thought someone was going to shout it out. Don't even check right now either. You're like, oh, I wonder what the score is too. We'll find out in just 45 or 50 minutes, however long the sermon is. So 30 minutes, 25 minutes. <laughs> You're like panicked. Like the game will be over. Right? Uh, so in light of that, uh, this is what this word to take hold of looks like. Starting at the 22, Stafford rolls out, airs it out, has tape behind the defense, and Golden Tate down near the 10. 
Thank you, football season. Just like that, he runs him down and he's chasing him, chasing him, and he grabs him and he drags him down and holds on to him. And that's this idea that's found in our verse right there, that, that Paul says, I want to press on to take hold of Jesus just like Jesus did to me. Jesus chased after me just like that. Jesus took hold of me, such a powerful image, such an incredible language that Jesus grabs our attention and he grabs our affection. It reminded me of this song that's pretty popular. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, restful love of God. Changed it so you don't panic. Oh, it chases me down. It fights till I'm found, and it leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Yet you give yourself away. That's what Jesus does. He sees us, and he chases us down and grabs us and holds us in. And then Paul says, since Jesus has done that for me, do you know what I do? Paul says, I look back at that way. I said, I'm going to come for you, Jesus. I'm going to go at Jesus the same, uh, the, sa the same strength that he came at me. I am going to take hold of him just like he took hold of me. I'm going to run after him with all of my might, grab him, and just drag him close so he can't ever escape. Jesus does that for us. And sometimes we as Christians, we react to the idea of being taken hold of by Jesus by becoming passive. Sometimes we think like, oh, well, I'm already saved, so it's all good, right? But Paul doesn't respond that way. Paul says like, yes, Jesus has taken hold of me, and because of that, I am going to chase passionately and powerfully after him and grab hold of him and, and drag him close and hold him so he's near to me. Brothers and sisters, he continues on, I don't consider myself yet to have done this thing, to take and hold of it. But one thing that I do, I forget what's behind and, I, and I'm straining toward what's ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. There is some like more never quit, never give up buff language right here in this verse. It like continues on with this kind of like, straining forward, pressing on, taking hold of it. Paul is trying to win the race marked out for him. Each of us have a race marked out for him. And the nice part is, is I don't have to beat you. We're not running against one another. I'm running a race that God marked out for me, and I can win that race or I can lose that race. It's up to me. You can run your race and win your race and lose it, and we both can win our race. And it doesn't mean that, aha, you lost, I win. It's not that kind of race. God says, I have marked out a race for you. And Paul says, I am trying to run that race in such a way that I can win the prize. That I, that I, that I see what God has us. What's that prize that's before him? Remember, we've been talking about it. It's that salvation that we're living up to. It's the thing that he's already taken hold of us for. And Paul says, I'm going to run after that till I get a hold of that thing. Like sometimes I hear people say something like, like, I just hope that I get into heaven. I hear this fairly often. They're like, if I can just scrape by, I just want to get in by the skin of my teeth. I just, I'm just hoping to get saved. But you guys, I'm not, and I never have been. The moment that Jesus took a hold of my life, he did it in a radical way, and I said, Jesus, I'm going to pursue you, and I'm going to try to live for you. I do not want to eke into heaven. I don't want to go into heaven with my head down, sort of embarrassed, like, God, yeah, yeah, I didn't really try that hard, I didn't really do that. So, and with this list of excuses, I don't want to come to my Heavenly Father, sort of dragging my feet, like, oh, knowing that I'm in trouble because I hadn't done it. I want to go into heaven with my arms raised and say, Dad, I'm here! Man, I wasn't perfect, you know it, 
but I busted my butt for you. I loved you with all that I could. Man, I made so many mistakes, and thank you for forgiving me. But I am here. I'm here, for I don't want to eke into heaven. And Paul didn't want to eke into heaven. He says, I'm straining forward. I'm trying to win the prize. I'm not just trying to get a C minus, you know, C's or credit or D's or credit or whatever the, the phrase is. Like, it's, I'm just not trying to get credit. I'm trying to win the, the prize. I'm trying to do my very best. God, I am here in heaven. And, and I want to go that way. I, I don't want to sneak into heaven full of excuses and sorry. Like, oh, yeah, God, I'm sorry. That I know I should have. I know I would have if I just could have. If, 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 if. I want to be there and say, oh, man, God, you know. You know how messed up I am? And the few good parts I had, I used for you. I know I'm not perfect. To get that, to have this mentality, I cannot allow my past to be an anchor. I cannot allow the things which are behind me to distract me whether good or bad. Dwelling in the past will keep us from what God has in the now and what God has in the future. Folks, we can't be okay with our best spiritual times being behind us, nor can we allow Satan to throw old mistakes in our face over and over again. I can't live in the good things of the past. I can't say, well, well, I went on missions when I was in college, and man, I used to memorize verses with those navigator packs, and, and I, used to, uh, I used to serve, and I used to love people, and I used to tell people about Jesus, and that's in the past for me. I can't live in the past, then I'll have no future. Nor can I say, look, I made a lot of mistakes, and, and Satan tries to take those same mistakes that I made and throw them back in my face. He tries to disqualify the things that I'm doing by bringing up stuff that God has already forgiven for me. If you have some of those, maybe you've made some doozies. Maybe you have some big mistakes. Maybe you have some mistakes that you, like nobody else knows, but they're so big, you don't think that if people knew they would even like you or forgive you or talk to you. But once you repent from those mistakes, Jesus says, I will separate them as far as from the east as the west. I will remember your sin no more. He's not omniscient. He can't forget stuff. But he says, I'm going to put it in a category of no longer remembering. I'm going to put it in the not remembering box. And you've got to, too. See, Satan doesn't. He remembers and he reminds you. (laughs) That's not God reminding you of your past sin. If you've asked for forgiveness, God said, you're like, sorry, God, for that past sin. He's like, which past sin? I didn't bring that up. Then that's the enemy bringing it up. And you've got to not listen to the lies of the enemy to allow, to allow him to trip you up because of mistakes are in the past. You've got to let the past be in the past. Repent, leave the past behind, and move forward in Jesus. Paul says that's what he's doing. He's, he's running for the prize that's the head. I cannot run, I cannot run well if I'm looking back. Uh, I'll run zigzag, I'll trip. I won't run as fast as I can. The only way to run a race in which you're winning is to have your eyes on the goal line and you press forward. It doesn't matter who's on the right and left. We sit all the time, like, if you watch those videos, people celebrating too soon, right? They look to the left. They're like, I got this. But the moment they take their eye off and get distracted, that person who's not distracted, zooms right past them. And so we need to press on for the prize because it's such a glorious call. Paul says it's worth straining for. Straining is this effort made at the finish line of a sprint. Straining is this like every muscle and nerve exerted. It's like that, 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 that vein popping, teeth gritting, 
effort to get something done. That's this idea of straining. And Paul says, that's how I'm living my life, straining forward. I can't worry about the past. It'll mess up my now, and it'll mess up my future. And I'm going to strain forward to what God has me. Paul was running for his life, and he was running for life. He says, all of us, all of us then who are mature, we got to take that kind of view of things. And if on some point that you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Like, I love this part. He says, if you disagree, don't worry about it. God will show to you that I'm right. Like, really, that's what he's saying, right? So he says, like, don't worry. I love it. Paul's not over con- overly consumed about proving himself to be right to anybody, even to his church that he's writing to. He says, like, look, if you disagree with me right now, that's fine. God will reveal, show you the truth later, because Paul's letter ends up being, like, in the Bible forever, right, as God's authoritative written word to people. And whatever other people were writing, that didn't end up here. And so Paul says, like, ah, don't worry, I got this one. It'll be revealed to you. And then I think in this we see that importance of unity again. He said maybe there's some other ideas floating around, and Paul's saying like it's important to like be mature, have the same view of things, to, to be of one mind. He said that before. And that's kind of a thread that's been woven in uh, Philippians. Just over and over he sort of says like I, I value oneness. I value that you would put one another ahead of yourselves. I, I value unity and being one in Christ. And so we see this thread sort of weave throughout Philippians. Uh, perhaps that would be a theme of the, I told you the, Philippians is hard to theme out, like what's the theme of it? It's either maybe rejoicing or unity if we had to kind of pick a theme. So this one threads all throughout it. And then he says this, uh, this would safeguard, anyway, uh, the idea of unity would safeguard the church from what we were talking about last week, where there were some people who were attempting to make some divisions to pull believers one from another. And uh, having the right teaching would safeguard against that false teaching. And then he continues on. He says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. So this is a rephrase of what he said before. Let us uh, uh, continue to work out our salvation. This is the same kind of idea. Live up to what we have already attained. You are a child of God. Take that. That's a big phrase. You, a Jericho Road sitting here, you've asked Jesus to be your Savior. You are a child of God. Paul says, live like it. Act like it. It says, you have attained salvation, and you've attained perfection in Jesus Christ. Now live up to that. Remember uh, that line in Saving Private Ryan, when Tom Hanks is dying, so he goes through the whole movie, and, and he's dying there. He got shot or something, and, and uh, so he's dying, and I'm crying, and uh, breathing all heavy. Uh, Tom Hanks is breathing all heavy, not me. Um, so he's breathing all heavy, and then he pulls Matt Damon uh, close to him, and, and he has this raspy whisper, because, you know, he's, he's dying, and he goes, James, earn this. Earn it. He dies. And, oh, man, what Bible stealers. Paul said that right here, dude. Like, <laughs> like, don't act like you came up with that saving Private Ryan, like, writer people. You didn't. That's exactly what the Bible said. That whole movie is based on this verse. <laughs> These people like sacrifice everything so that this guy can go home because he's the one kid or whatever, and then and he, he should live up to it after that, the sacrifice of all those people that are around him. But we have a sacrifice that comes from Jesus Christ, and Paul says, they copy exactly what Paul says. Live up to it. Work out your salvation. Not that you've, you can earn it ever, 
but you're living up to the thing which you're already called. Paul again says this, join together in following my example. Brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. See, we shouldn't think that Paul is so egotistical uh, that he thought he was somehow sinless or perfect. He doesn't. But he does say, I know people need examples. And so I'm going to say it's okay for you to look at me as a model of falling Christ. You have to. Because in life, we have to have models of people to watch. It, we are going to copy ourselves after someone. Everyone who's a parent has found out that they've been copying their parents' parenting style like half the time. And now all of a sudden, you sound like your mom, right? And you're like, dude, I am my mom now, right? And this is a sad realization for almost every parent that they've become their parents because that's the examples and the models that we watch. Now, now not always. Sometimes we have to break cycles of violence or sometimes we have to find healing and, and do something different. But, but oftentimes... We copy those things of, with, of which that we've watched. And we need concrete examples in life. We, we need people to look up to, uh, to follow. We know they're not perfect, just like we know Paul's not perfect. But, but he's someone who's following God and someone that we can imitate as he's following Jesus. Now, we've got to have men and women who are like that, who could show us how to like age well, to show us how to parent well, to show us how to have integrity in our businesses, like how to love people well and how to follow Jesus honestly and fully. We need people like that in our lives. At Jericho Road, one of the things that we want to be known for, so every board that we've been started vision cast, uh, so they cast out for the 5, 10, and 50 years out. One of the things that we want to be known for is mentorship. And that, that's the same idea right here. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. Having people that we can use as examples. And someday, like we may as a church create a program for that, or, or someday there may be some like formal portions to that to help build that reputation for our church. But really, it comes out of a heart of people who want to bless other people. That's it. So when we have people who are mentor us, we know that they're not perfect. It's like, I know Paul's not perfect. And when I have people who are showing me how, like, how, to, how to get better, uh, how to do things better, um, and, and trust me, the church does, which is fantastic. People will tell me, hey, Pastor, that was pretty, like, not, not cool that you did this or this. And I'm like, oh, man, thank you. I really appreciate that, you know? My son says, like, oh, Daddy, you shouldn't uh, use um so much in the beginning of your sermon. Okay, I appreciate that. It's hard to take from your own kid, but I appreciate it. I'll take it, you know, it's nice, right? So I worked on it today, son. I hope that it was okay at the first part. Good. He's nodding, so he's forced to because he's stuck here in the sermon. And you're like, eh, Pastor's kid, bummer. Um, so Paul wasn't so proud to think that he was the only one who could be an example. And we look at the verse again. Pop that back up, James. We look at that verse again, and he says, uh, look, uh, look out for other people. Notice when the brothers and sisters uh, also could become that. Keep an eye out for other people who can model it, not just me. So Paul's not saying, like, I'm the only one, or only look at Jesus. Like, sometimes people say that, right? Jesus is my only role model. Well, that, that's nice and really important, and he is the ultimate role model, but we have to have other people that we're looking up to. Now, maybe not their whole life, but maybe they really have great integrity in business, or maybe they're really good at sharing Jesus with other people. So we, we model after those parts of them, even when we know that they're fallible in other areas. And so he uses us. It wasn't just him. He makes the assumption that in the future, there's going to be others 
within the church who will be able to be models and examples as well. He continues to write this, For as I have often told you before, and I'm going to tell you again now, even with some tears in my eyes, that there are many people who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their, their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. With great sadness, Paul realizes that there are many who are walking in a manner that's not worthy to what the things he's been teaching about. Or he says, there's the plus side, straining on, following, trying to get this goal, pressing on, holding. And he said, but there are some people who aren't doing that. There are some people who are just living for themselves. And he calls them enemies of the cross. And these folks were a little bit different. Last week we heard about some enemies of Jesus who were legalists. They were adding rules upon rules upon rules. These ones were the opposite. They said, oh, I have Jesus. Oh, I can do whatever I want then. Well, they have a Jesus, and then they start just to going out and having sex with whoever they want. They're getting drunk as much as they can. They're, they're spending their money on wildness and crazy because they said, well, I'm already saved, so I can do whatever I want. And, and Paul's writing also to them, so having this balance. No, it's not about the rules, but no, it's not about just doing whatever you want. It's living up to the call that you have within. So Paul had to contend with people, not, not only here in Philippi, but Corinth was a big problem. They had this problem even worse than the Philippian church. And uh, so other churches as well, that they would come to salvation but not have that repentance and continue in their lifestyle. And he says, that's not how it's going to work. That's not how God intended. And the, the enemies of the cross, they have these four problems we see here. The first is that they have a destination problem. Uh, primarily is that they're, uh, they're headed for destruction. Destruction here is the word uh, for uh, perdition, which means to, to burn in hell. So he says they, the big problem is a destination problem. They thought they had Jesus, but if you think that you can have Jesus and then do whatever heck you want, you don't actually have Jesus. So he says they have a destination problem, and primarily because their God is their appetites. So they've made idols. They're not following the one true God. They're following the appetites of their own desires. A third problem is they're thinking that sin is good. And a uh, fourth problem is a mind problem, filled uh, with this world rather than filled with the things of heaven or Jesus alone. Now, I read this, and I don't know about you, but I can't help but tisk tisk, you know. Yeah, those bad people <laughs> that are described here. <laughs> got them, Paul. But I think I've got to be really careful that I don't become slowly one of these people that are in this exact situation. I have to say, yes, yes, I know Jesus, I follow Jesus, but do I ever fall into any of these problems? Do I ever make my God my appetites? Do I ever think that things that uh, are sinful sometimes are okay? Do I have a mind that is set on earthly things? Do you have a mind that's set on earthly things? Trying to get ahead and work? Maybe your money? Maybe positions of power? Or, or maybe it's just your style, how you look to people or your comfort, or looking good, or getting ahead. Like those things are fine. But have you set your mind on those things? Is that what you spend all week thinking about how to get? What do you spend the most time on? Thinking how to honor God, or thinking how to get more money? Thinking how to honor God, or thinking how to look better for that girl at school? Thinking how to honor God, or thinking how to get better grades so I could go to a better school? Like, what do you spend your mind on? And so we can easily, slowly slip back, say, yes, yes, I know you, Jesus, I know you, Jesus, but I'm doing all these other things. And that's exactly what Paul says. He says, the person saying they know Jesus, 
But in reality, they're doing something different. And he says, that's not the right way. As the esteemed uh, American theologian, last week was an English theologian, but as the esteemed American theologian O'Shea Jackson says, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? <laughs> That's Ice Cube, anyway, if you don't know uh, good old Ice Cube. So, uh, but, but he's right. You've got to check yourself before. Like, don't tiss-tiss this guy right over there before I see if I haven't just become exactly this. Or at least am I trending that way? Am I leaning that way? Am I becoming more like that? And if I am, I've got to get back to that right mentality, getting Jesus first, putting him as the center, saying everything else, all those stuff, they were creeping up God, but now I'm going to... Compare him to you, Jesus. The thing is crap compared to you. I'm going with you, Jesus. And my mind set on is it is it set on those earthly things or is it set on things above? Paul says the reason this isn't okay is because our citizenship is in heaven, and we're eagerly awaiting a savior that's from there, from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we'll be like his glorious body. So one paraphrase of this citizenship of heaven kind of thing reads like this. We have our home in heaven, and here on earth we are a colony of heaven citizens. So if we are citizens of heaven, that means that we are resident aliens on earth, and as a colony on earth, we're supposed to uh, be clearly distinct from those in which we're dwelling with, so that they may see the distinction. So Paul's saying this, like, you are citizens of heaven. If, if we're reminded of sort of like the Roman people, remember they conquer over people, and they don't belong to those people, they just sort of live there. And so this is, is real life for the people that are receiving this letter. And, and Paul's taking that and saying, hey, you got to be like that. Though, though you don't live, and this isn't your world, so you've got to live differently so that you're noticeably different from those people that are in this world. And he says, one day we will be transformed. We're just not transformed yet. One day we will get a perfect body. We exist eternally as human beings. Human beings have bodies and they have souls. A dead human being is a, a body without the soul. A soul human being without a body is just a spirit. We're not meant to be that way. Ultimately, Jesus will raise your perfected body and put your perfected soul in it, just like Jesus has. When Jesus was resurrected, he wasn't resuscitated in his old body. It's not that the Jesus body came up, the whole sort of was fixed, and now he's good. He actually has a new perfect body. It resembles the old one. It's patterned after the old, and yet it's equipped and fitted for eternity. Jesus' new body. It can live in, in non-spatial heaven, and it can live on physical earth and eat things. Pretty cool body, <laughs> Right? Like, I don't know. My body's, all right, not very nice. I can't wait for this one that, that I can be, be spatial and time and, and local and yet be spirit and, and maybe movable. Jesus, Jesus appears inside of rooms and then disappears outside of rooms. Like, now that's a different kind of body than I have, but, it, but it's, he's touchable and, and he can eat. And I can't wait to have that body. This is like, oh man, this is like a, the beta version that crashes all the time. I can't wait for like the good, like when Apple finally rolls out the good model, right? I can't wait for that when Jesus rolls it out. Um, and so our bodies are going to be like him when we see him like he is. And we're going to finish with this. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and I long for, you guys are my joy and my crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Because of the promise of resurrection, because of the salvation which Jesus ran you down and took 
hold of you, because he calls you son and daughter, all the more reason to stand firm. He calls them my joy and my crown. Paul uses this ancient Greek word for, for crown that describes the crown given to an athlete um, after they win the race, the crown of achievement, a Stephanos. He's not talking about a diadem, a crown of a king. He says, this is an achievement one. You guys are my achievement. He says, when you follow Jesus, Paul says, like, that means I'm winning my race. And he's pretty proud about this. The Philippians, as they stand fast in the Lord, they're Paul's trophy. When others faint and wither, stand firm. When the storm comes and the waves crash out, stand firm, Paul says. When the enemy ferociously attacks, stand firm. Reminder that we can only stand firm when we're standing in the Lord. Every other place of standing is insecure. We're going to finish today uh, by taking communion in a different way. Uh, And then we're going to have a response song. And part of standing firm is remembering for whom we're standing for and who stood for us. And so the reason that we take communion every week as a church, as believers, is uh, Jesus says, do this whenever you meet together in remembrance of me. And so something really powerful happens when we say, Jesus, I'm going to purposely and intentionally remember what you've done for me so that I can stand firm in you, so that I can be re-reminded that you are the center and the focus. And as uh, the praise team comes up here, we're going to go ahead and do that. And so what we have this morning is... um, We have communion, we're remembering and proclaiming that very thing. And I'm going to invite everyone who's a follower in Jesus to come up in just a moment when the music starts playing. And uh, in three of our tables, we have a communion where I'm going to ask you to come up and break bread and then dip it into the blood. So, So we really are saying, Jesus, your body was broken for me and your blood was shed for me. And so we're taking that body and we're breaking it and we're dipping it in the juice and taking communion that way. Now, if you're uncomfortable with that style, uh, we do have our individual style of communion still in the back. Uh, that'll be back by the soundboard if you prefer an individual style uh, sort of packaged communion. Uh, and as well as gluten-free will be in the back corner as well. So we have uh, uh, both those available. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to release this new communion, and then we're going to have a worship song. Father, we want to come and, and celebrate you. God, this is the day that we can center ourselves back on you so cool that you ran us down and you grabbed us and you held on to us and I want to chase after you too Jesus and we as believers get this chance to to, to move physically and come up and take this communion reminding ourselves that you came and got us that your body was broken and your blood was shed for us and now we get to live up to that what a joy But what a powerful responsibility. So as Jesus moves you this morning, I want to invite you to one of our communion tables if you've asked him to be your savior. If you never have, today's a perfect day to say, Jesus, I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I know I've messed up and I know I need you. Come heal me, Jesus. And if you'd make that prayer, then you're free to join us at the communion table. So as God leads you, I want to invite you to a time of communion.